Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. We're continuing our study of James chapter 4 on this episode of Pondering Scripture. I want to welcome you to this episode. Thank you for listening, and it's my prayer that this study will be of benefit to you. In James chapter 4 and verse 11, James continues and says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so again, he, as we mentioned at the very end of our episode last week, continues this discussion really that began in chapter 3 in the last verses 13 through 18 with worldly wisdom and what that or how that manifested itself in chapter 4 with worldliness and then he called them to penitence and, and humility. And really in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, he addresses two kinds of worldliness Worldliness, again, is having this mindset on pleasures of the world. It's that division there, a double-mindedness that he indicated they needed to turn away from in verse 8. That makes them an enemy of God, not thinking of the things of God. And if you're not thinking of the things of God, the wisdom that you claim to possess is of the earth and not from above, then that's going to drastically change the way you think the way you communicate with others, the way you deal with others, the way you live. And so one of the problems of worldly wisdom that is addressed here is the way they make judgments. Not just, let me emphasize, not just the motives behind their judgments. Because I believe while we read in verses 11 through 12 of James 4, there seems to be this connotation of ulterior insinuous or, or uh, insidious Uh, motives in those judgments, that's not always necessarily the case. Certainly these people have a lot of problems, but it's not that they're just dead set on destroying their brethren at all costs. There may be rivalries there, and certainly as indicated in verses 1 through 5, their worldliness has led to strife among the brethren. But you can be guilty of what is said in verses 11 through 12, even though your motives in and of themselves are pure. You think that you're doing good. You think that you are accomplishing something, even to the benefit of the one that you're judging. But really, you're not. And there's a reason for it. So I want to just clear that up from the start. While certainly... We read passages like this, it may seem to indicate, and some may be guilty of just being rotten to the core and wanting to to tear someone down just for the sake of tearing them down. We also got to realize that even if we know for sure, as we know our hearts, our motives are pure, we got to make sure also that they're falling back on the proper foundation of Christ. Because if they're not, we can cause a lot of damage. And that's the same thing as with chapter 3. Here's this consideration of those who want to be teachers, and it seems that probably a big reason for many wanting to be teachers when they shouldn't be teachers is because they want the notoriety, they want the position, they want the focus on them, and there's some pride there and worldliness there even. 
but it may be that someone thinks that they're going to accomplish much good and they have a humility in approaching being a teacher. They don't want the notoriety. They don't want the position of, of, of attention, if you will, but they also don't understand the law. They're not mature Christians, and, and they open their mouth and start to say things that are wrong. It doesn't matter what their focus is and what their intentions are. They can cause a lot of problems, and so that's the way with this judgment here, I believe. And we'll get to the text in a minute, but I think that it's necessary really to even set this up with an understanding of basic thoughts on judgment that the Scripture reveals. Remember back in chapter 2 that James mentioned the fact that some of them had become judges with evil thoughts in verse 4. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's not condemning making judgments altogether. What he's showing is that their judgment is coming from a place that is contrary to what the gospel would reveal. He said, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. He said, you show favor to the rich man over the poor man, and what you're doing is you're showing love, love your neighbor as yourself. You're showing that love and and displaying and acting on and submitting to the gospel in one area, but you're using it and showing it with partiality. And so you're making a judgment that is not found in God's word. God reveals, especially in the parable of the Great Samaritan, that everyone is our neighbor, or you are a neighbor to everyone, which would indicate if you're to love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't matter if it's a rich man that comes in or a poor man that comes in, you show love to both of them. But if you make this decision to only show love to the rich man and not to the poor man, then what you have done is you have made a decision based on a judgment you've made and not on what God has made. And that's the point that I'm especially wanting to emphasize. It's our standard of judgment, which in James 4 and verses 11 through 12, this evil judgment that they're making is evil not because simply of ulterior malevolent motives, but it's evil because it's not according to an infallible standard. So how could it be good? Just like their judgment in James 2. Consider what Jesus said in John 7 and verse 24 concerning judgment. He said there, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You know, there's a lot of talk in the world today about not judging. You shouldn't judge each other. You shouldn't judge me. And they think that Jesus kind of had that as a mantra about him, that you need to just accept and love, not judge. But here Jesus says, do not judge. But he qualifies that statement. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge, so you are to judge with righteous judgment. The context is telling. In verse 20, the people answered Jesus and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. And he's alluding to, as we'll see, healing a man on the Sabbath. He says, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And so what Jesus is saying is you're making a judgment 
but it's superficial. You saw me do something, do a work, heal a man on the Sabbath. You're not to work on the Sabbath. So instead of thinking a little deeper about it and maybe considering what the law says about the Sabbath, you immediately jump to a conclusion that Jesus is an evil man because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And you think that you're right in making that judgment. The law says do not work on the Sabbath. But it was a superficial judgment. You're just judging according to appearance. You're not really thinking through this. You're not really thinking through the divine standard and making a logical judgment. You're just making a leap in the dark. And it gives circumcision as an example. Circumcision is a command of the law. And so if you have a baby that needs circumcised on the eighth day, and that eighth day is the Sabbath day, are you going to not circumcise him, as the law says, because you're not to do any work on the Sabbath? No, you're going to circumcise him to fulfill the law. You don't fulfill part of the law by breaking part of the law. And if there's a law that you need to fulfill, you have no wiggle room in, and you've got to do that on the Sabbath, the indication in Scripture is that you're to fulfill that law. We understand that in regard to our assembly. Are you to forsake the assembly? Absolutely not. But what if there is something you've got to do in fulfillment of God's law in Christ that would cause you to miss the assembly? Well, you do that. You fulfill that law. Maybe it's taking care of someone who's sick. Maybe it's saving someone in some way, whatever it may be. We don't make that as an excuse, but it's an understanding of God's requirements. So what did Jesus do? Well, he appealed to his standard. He says, you're judging, but you're judging superficially. You're not thinking about the standard, because look at what the standard says about the Sabbath. If it's okay to circumcise a man on the eighth day, or a baby on the eighth day, and that day is the Sabbath, and that person doing that is not wrong, then why is it wrong for me to do a good deed on the Sabbath and and healing a man, helping a man, and what he's struggling with? In another occasion, in Matthew chapter 2, or Mark 2, in verse 27, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You have a misunderstanding of the Sabbath, is what he's saying. And so righteous judgment is judgment according to a divine and infallible standard, not just according to appearance and opinion. What you see on the surface, it may be as clear as day, but sometimes it's not. And what you've got to do is before you rush to that judgment, you've got to do your homework. You've got to determine if what is being done is actually contrary to a standard. Again, many people cry, do not judge me. Judge not that you be not judged. That's obviously from Matthew 7 and verse 1. But Matthew continues to record Jesus' words. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's still calling them to make judgments. But he says, don't judge in this way. Don't judge your brother who has a speck in his eye when you have a plank in your eye. He's speaking of hypocritical judgment. You make a judgment 
against your brother when you are guilty of even more, be careful. Because with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you're judging him based on that and you're guilty of this, what do you think is going to be, what do you think is going to happen to you? Where do you think you stand? But he doesn't say, just ignore that and go on your way. You're not to judge at all. He says, first, you take the plank out of your eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And you still got to make that judgment. After you make your life right, you still got to make that judgment that that brother is in need, that brother is erring, that brother needs correction, and I'm going to correct it. I'm going to take that speck out of his eye. And down in the chapter further, in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Well, how are you going to know if they're false prophets? He says, Beware of them, but they're dressed in disguise. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruit you will know them. What's a fruit of a teacher? What's a fruit of the prophet? What they teach. And so is their teaching bad? Then they're a false prophet. Is their teaching good? Then they are true prophets. But how are you going to know that? Well, where does their fruit come from? What does it trace back to? If it's an apple, it's coming from an apple tree. So if it's truth, it's coming from the truth. If it's error, it's coming from another place, not the truth. And so you're going to compare the fruits with the law. You're going to compare the teachings to the divine standard. And so you're making a judgment, but you're not judging based on the man's appearance or his sound. You're judging based, basing, your judgment is based upon the fruits of his teaching and that in comparison to the standard. And so that's a little bit about judgment. Now go back to the text. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Well, that word speak evil means to be a traducer or a slanderer. And so speaking as to tear them down, whether that is your intention or whether it's just happening, you're tearing them down with your speech. The tongue is capable of much damage. But notice you're speaking evil of them in this regard. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother. So he adds to it. He, he gives us more detail about what that evil speaking is. You're judging your brother. You're making a judgment on them like those did with Jesus. They judged him as being evil, as having a demon, as being one contrary to the law, but it was superficial. It wasn't true. And so that would malign Jesus' character. That would tear his character up, and that was their intention. But it may not be the intention of everyone that does that. They may be making a judgment that they think is right, but really it has no basis of truth to it. And so they're tearing down their brother and his image and character by making that judgment and speaking about that. And there's no basis for it. But I want us to notice furthermore what he says. You, you speak evil of a brother and judge your brother. And when you do that, you speak evil of the law and judge the law. And so these aren't just random hurtful insults. These are judgments being made against someone. But how do you speak evil of the law and judge the law if you speak evil of your brother and judge your brother? Well, it's because of the basis of your judgment. 
the definite article is not really before law. It's really you speak evil of law and judge law. He's speaking of the law of liberty that we're under back in chapter 1 and verse 25 and 2 and verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The gospel of Christ is what will be judged by. And if you judge your brother and in so doing judge the law, then you're not making a judgment according to the law, but you're making a judgment contrary to the law. And in so doing, you're speaking evil of the law. In other words, if I say something is wrong, if I make a judgment, what my brother is doing is sinful, he's doing wrong. But what I say he's doing wrong, the law doesn't say is wrong. The law makes no indication that such is wrong. Maybe the law doesn't even say anything about it. In other words, we don't have the proof that what our brother is doing is wrong. But we're making that judgment. He's wrong then what we're doing is indicating that we think the law is insufficient. We're speaking evil of the law because we're saying something's wrong that the law did not say is wrong. So if we think it's wrong, but God's law didn't say it was wrong, then we may not know it, but what we're doing is we're implying that we know better than God. The law is insufficient then. You don't just judge your brother, you judge the law. And if you're judging the law, you're judging the lawgiver. But 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for these things, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It thoroughly equips us. It tells us everything we need to know that's wrong, and it tells us everything we need to know that's right and that we're required to do. And so if we make a judgment that someone is wrong in what they're doing, and we have no book chapter and verse for it, it's impossible to actually point it out in Scripture by direct statement or command, an example, or a necessary inference, then what we're saying is we know better than God. In Matthew 16, when Jesus said, I will build my church, and then he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom to the apostles, the New American Standard Bible reads in Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So God does the binding and the loosing. Everything that the apostles taught, whether they bind, they bound it or they loosed it, was something that God had told them to do through the inspiration of the Spirit. So if he hasn't bound, then we must not bind, and if he hasn't loosed, then we must not loose. But in James 4, verses 11 through 12, Here's this judgment where someone is either binding something that has not been bound or loosing something that has not been loose, but especially it would likely be binding where the Bible hasn't bound. See, you're doing wrong, but the Bible didn't say that. You're saying that. And in judging a brother to be evil, you're tearing him down, but what you're suggesting he's doing or not doing can't be found in the gospel, and so you're tearing him down to know avail. Even if you think that you're properly correcting him, if you don't have the book, chapter, and verse, it's not a judgment that's going to lead him to truth. It's a judgment that simply is without basis and is tearing up his character before everyone else. You're saying he's a bad person or doing wrong or guilty of sin, and he hasn't done anything that the gospel said is wrong. And so the consequence is that you're a judge of the law. You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And binding beyond what the law has bound, you actually rebel against it because you're suggesting that you know better 
You're actually going beyond the law, not to do what it has required you to abstain from, but to actually bind where it has not bound. You're usurping the authority of God. What's an example of this? Well, biblically, we have the example of eating meats. In 1 Corinthians 8, it's eating meats that have been offered to idols, and there's a liberty there. God has given us the right to do that. And then, of course, if you do it and it causes your brother to stumble, you don't have a right to make your brother stumble, but there's that that liberty. But also in Romans 14, the problem was eating meats that the old law says are not clean, but now are cleansed. You can eat them as a Christian. God has made no restriction on the eating of meats in the New Testament. But here you got a problem with a weak brother who who doesn't have the conscience as a Jew that has become a Christian to be able to eat those meats because it still feels wrong to him even though he knows Jesus has allowed it. And now he's making these judgments on the strong brother who's able to, with good conscience, eat those meats. Maybe that's what James is talking about. Specifically, we don't know, but it definitely would apply. So you're saying he's wrong, he's in sin for eating meats that the old law says are unclean. Well, especially to those who aren't familiar with the law of Christ, that's going to tear his character up before them. And with no basis... Where do you find that in the law of Christ, that you're not to eat these meats? In actuality, we find the opposite. But here's some other more modern examples. Our schedule of services and the times that we meet, and the order of services that we involve ourselves in from congregation to congregation. You know, some congregations meet from 9 to 12 in the morning. They have all three services in one block. And then probably the more... The older and more traditional meeting times are meeting twice in the morning for Bible class and worship and then coming back in the evening to have an evening worship. Well, which one's right and which one's wrong? Neither. In fact, we're to worship on the first day of the week, but God doesn't say we have to even meet twice. And those are traditions. And and those are traditions in and of themselves that aren't wrong, but if you start binding them, they are. If you start making judgments against your brothers and sisters in Christ or against other congregations that have no basis in the Scripture, you're wrong. You're making evil judgments. You are placing yourself in the position of a judge. You know, another problem within the Lord's church is the argument between whether homeschool is best versus public school. And, you know, I'll tell you, each side, I was I was public school, but each side has good arguments. They have good reasons. But you know what? God didn't say anything about it. So you make that judgment individually. That's a liberty. God didn't say anything about secular education. And so you go at it personally without making any judgments on another. Because if you make that judgment, these people aren't homeschooling or these people aren't public schooling. And so they're wrong or they're not as strong. um, They're not as spiritually minded or whatever it may be. That's wrong. You're putting yourself in the position of a judge, and there are other things that we could discuss, but those are some that came to mind. He concludes that section. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Christ said in John 12, 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. When you make a judgment 
and it's not based on a divine standard, then you are suggesting, whether you know it or not, that you have the power to save and to destroy. Because you're saying that if you adhere to this, my thought, then you'll be right. But if you transgress this, my thought, that God said nothing about, then you are setting yourself up for destruction. Only one has that power to decide who's going to be saved and who's going to be destroyed. And that's the lawgiver. We have no position to judge each other based on that. When we make judgments on each other based on God's law, you're in sin and you need to get right with God. That is not our judgment. Not ultimately. That is Christ's judgment. We have no right to pick and choose what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what leads to life and what leads to condemnation. God chooses that. We always need to make sure we're in the proper place because these readers of James's book, they evidently were struggling with that and needed a wake-up call. We will conclude James chapter 4 next week, and I encourage you to listen in on that as we consider another form of ungodliness that the readers of James were guilty of, and that was making plans without God in the picture. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.